The Star Blades, the Sheffield United podcast from the Star in Sheffield. It's time to put that shiny new toy straight back in its box. Welcome to the Star Blades, as Sheffield United gear up for their clash with the most exciting and innovative team to hit the Premier League in years. <laughs> depending on who you ask of course I'm Liam Hoden and joining me first is the Stars long-serving Blades writer James Shield how are things James? All good all good you've asked us haven't you with that <laughs> intro oh, yeah. yeah we're all of that mindset I'm sure definitely also he completes uh, Sheffield United writing duo Danny Hall how are things Danny? Yes Danny Liam how are you? Yes not too bad at all not too bad good at all stuff. Just let you know before we kick off, we are recording on a video conference insight, so apologies in advance for any audio issues. Let's reflect on it. We haven't had really much a chance to uh, to speak of United's start to the season. So, James, how do you sum things up, both in results and performance terms so far? Well, in terms of results, it's clearly disappointing. Uh, you know, they've played three, haven't won a game. Uh, the... The record books will say that they've drawn one in the in the Carabao Cup, but you know they didn't go through. So as far as I'm concerned, that's a defeat. They lost on penalties, but I do think it's it's important as well to to look at the at the wider picture. And it's not a it's not a beautiful picture. There's there's no point in pretending otherwise because there's certain things that Sheffield United can do. Uh, there's certain things that they're still doing that they've got to stop doing if they want to establish themselves as a top flight club. But I do think at Burnley and also Aston Villa on Monday in particular, I thought there were signs of real progress. Uh, I thought, you know, clearly once again, as they did against Wolves, where they conceded twice in the opening six minutes, they clearly sort of made things difficult for themselves by having a man sent off John Egan very early on at Villa Park, although that was a, that was a pretty sort of controversial dismissal. Uh, and I think an unfortunate one, but as Chris Wilder admitted afterwards, John Egan had put himself in a, in a position that perhaps he, he shouldn't have put himself in uh, when, he was, when he was dismissed for denying Ollie Watkins a, a goal-scoring opportunity. Uh, and they were also the architects of their own downfall to a degree when they were awarded a, a first half penalty, which they which they missed. And had that gone in, even down to ten men, I think you know it would have clearly changed the entire complexion of the game. But I thought there were things coming away from those last two matches in particular that that Chris Wilder and his team can can take heart from. Uh, I thought, firstly, at Burnley, it was the the sight of so many new players coming into a into what it, what is a pretty difficult sort of system to master. Max Lowe, Jaden Bogle in particular, I thought did really really well. Uh, you know, Ethan Ampadu was also really solid, and Oliver Burke was solid at Turf Moor as well. I thought then Oliver was was really the player who really kicked on at Aston Villa. I thought he had a, a really good game. You can see that he brings something different to that attack. It's a lovely combination of pace and power. And I thought you could see that he's, you know, he looked a much more confident figure in that system than he has done, you know, in, in recent years. So I think that that bodes well for the future. And I thought the other good thing as well is that Ben Osborne, once again, you know, is continuing his, his really good form and is pushing John Fleck very, very hard. So, you know, 
all things considered, I think they're moving in the right direction, but there does come a point when we don't want to talk about moving in the right direction. We want to talk about them collecting points, and that's obviously what they're going to have to do uh, or certainly be looking to do this weekend. Your thoughts, Danny, so far? Yeah, I'd agree with everything James said there. You know, um, I think sometimes you do have to look at the, like I said, there, the bigger picture rather than just looking at the, at the results. I mean, if you care to venture on, you know, these these uh, message boards and Facebook groups that we so know and love for Sheffield United, you think that, you know, the season's done and dusted, they've been relegated already. Um, you know, it's a long, a long way to go before we even contemplate that. Uh, for me, um, you know, it's a shame to see certain players have been kind of held up as the the, the scapegoats, basically. Yeah. Uh, Lundstrom was one of them after missing the penalty. Um, as I wrote in the piece I wrote afterwards, you know, the, the fact that he chased back in the 85th minute to throw himself in front of the uh, Jack Grealish shot and prevent it being 2-0 kind of gets overlooked a little bit when people are talking about him not being committed. But, you know, that's just football, isn't it? Uh, yeah, going back to Wolves, first game of the season, you know, as good as, as good as, as good a team as they are, and they are incredible Wolves, you know, United were carved open by them. I wouldn't have said, you know, two goals came from, you know, a d- defensive lapse where the, the man we just mentioned kind of lunges in and, and United are stretched at the back. And then the second one, you know, Jack O'Connell pushes Andy Stevens off balance and it's a, it's a free header. So, you know, you can... As much as Chris won't want, you know, goals to be down to his own players' mistakes, you know, I think you can kind of, you know, that you can cut those out. Like you said, if, if Jack Grealish cuts him on his right foot and smashes one in the top corner, you go, you know what, fair enough. But, you know, when, he, when you're gifting goals, which is essentially what United have done uh, so far, then, you, you know, you give yourself a, a mountain to climb. You know, again, as Jim said there, the Burnley game, made 10 changes I think it was you know we've seen that done in the past in cup games and the performance has been unbelievably disjointed you know some of the players you think they've obviously never played together before uh, from how they've how they performed in, in cup games but on was it whatever day it was we the again I'm losing track of days completely um, you know you, can't, you didn't see that each of the new lads slot in perfectly lads who have not played too much football in pre-season uh, looked look decent and then Villa again you know if that penalty goes in it's a completely different story with how well United have been defending apart from those two those two corners you know they threw themselves in the way of everything on at Villa Park uh, and you'd have backed them to do that especially if they had something to hold on to uh, but you know as Chris said in midweek you can't you can't give you know free headers away at set pieces you know that, that's basic basic football isn't it you know my Sunday league team would be disappointed if if a lad has a free head on a Sunday morning in the park so at Premier League level you can't do that but you'll know that you know they'll know that and you know you'll back yourselves all week to working on that and uh, hopefully put it right this weekend against like you said one of the most you know <laughs> the, the, new, the new shiny toy in the box is you so eloquently put it yeah yeah we'll talk about them in uh, in a little while I think the the overriding feeling from from Monday evening were that yeah, had that game been between two sides with eleven men, Sheffield United certainly wouldn't have lost. Uh, I think Villa weren't particularly great, uh, but United battled, and I think that's been that's been one positive to take as well from from 
even the game with Wolves as well, how much they've not roll, rolled over. You can say that this jump to suggest that United are going to struggle this season um, based on, on a few games, I, I think it's a massive leap when you consider how United have refused to roll over in these matches and, and they have fought, which you'd fully expect from a Chris Wilder side, but it's not. you can't always take it for granted that it's going to cut. But they've they've worked, they've battled, and they've kept themselves in these games, even though they've had mountain to climb in in, in both of them. And and you, you can't take that for granted, really, that and and, and dismiss it. Uh, so a decent amount of positives. Obviously, so much of the the other night rested on that that sending off decision. I mean, we could fall into the trap on every episode of this talking about VAR, given how much it's uh, affected United since uh, since the return to the Premier League. But what, one of the frustrating things for me about the whole VAR thing is how much stuff's poured over. And if you watch something slowed down and you watch it time and over and over again, you see where the, the infringement comes, even if it's... Uh, barely an infringement and I think that was the thing with that ultimately you, you're not going to get away with it you know and, and particularly the day after it happened to, uh, to to Chelsea as well obviously that one was much more clear cut uh, one with Christensen getting sent off but um, I, I, it's just it's hard with VAR uh, and I, in terms of in terms of that you You've got, oh, if you put your hands on somebody you are in massive danger of uh, uh, getting yourself in trouble and I, I think as well, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with all of that. And I mean, listen, I've gone on enough VAR-inspired rants on these podcasts, so I absolutely promise you 100% I'm not going to go on another long one again. But <laughs> you, 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 you're right. I mean, I think the big frustration for me is, well, there's a couple actually. One is that we're still not quite sure how this system is being sort of employed and utilised. And by that, I mean in terms of the referee going to the video monitor, you know, which we were told they were supposed to do. That didn't always happen at Villa Park on Monday night. So, you know, there's a, there's a confusion there. We've introduced a system that nobody seems to quite yet know how to use. I don't think it's, it, it should be that difficult. But, you know, this goes back to the issue of all you're doing is just adding another layer of complexity to a, a decision-making process that, you know, is, is made by humans. Uh, so, you know, you're never going to get that, you know, consistency that people are looking for. I think the the other thing as well, though, that I will say is, and you, you're spot on, Liam, when you say about if you put your hands on somebody in this day and age, you are in trouble. But I, I do think that players and managers and coaches have also got to take some responsibility for that situation we're in now because... You know, a hand on the shoulder doesn't necessarily mean that you go tumbling over triple Salco and Pike and six rolls across the pitch. You know, these are these are supposedly fit and strong athletes that we're so we, we keep getting told that, you know, they're fitter and stronger and more physically powerful than any other footballers that have ever walked the planet, you know, in the in the in, in the history of the game. And yet, by God, they do enough seem to go over easy these days. And I, I, I think that, in fairness to referees and officials, that does make it difficult. Just because somebody puts the hand on somebody else's shoulder or, you know, touches somebody else's sort of torso when, they, when they're making a challenge, it doesn't make it a foul. It's a, it's a contact sport. And so, you know, I, as much as the referees and the officials are frustrating me, 
uh, with, with the way they use VAR. I also think that the people actually playing the game have, have got to play some part in this whole process as well. And the way they do that is by calling players out and, you know, saying, listen, you know, that, that contract wasn't enough for you to go over. It wasn't enough for you to, to you know, to be awarded a penalty. It, it, here, here I go again, you know, but <laughs> I, I start throwing things at my television. Well, I'd, I'd love to, I don't. But, you know, when I, when I hear these pundits on TV talking about, well, you know, there was contact in the box, so it's got to... No, it doesn't, for crying out loud. Yes. So I think until we get to a point where basically where players and managers as well will basically say, do you know what? He took a dive there. It's not professional behaviour. It's, it, it, it's cheating. Is what it is. You're trying to con the ref. Mm. You're trying to con the fans. You, you, you're trying to con your fellow professionals. Uh, and I think until they start calling it out for what it is, you know, I think it's going to be a really difficult situation to change. The one thing I can say with absolute certainty is that I don't think there's, well, there's very, very few managers within the game and fellow, you know, and, and players who will actually do that because if the decision goes in their favour, you know, they're not going to do it, are they? It's, it's really short-termism, though, thinking like that, isn't it? In terms of, because while it might benefit you on one occasion, the, the next game, such similar behaviour could, could come back and bite you when your player ends up in a similar situation at the other end of the pitch and uh, they get penalised for it. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. But the game's all about short-termism right. now, isn't it? Busted. And, Busted. you know, unfortunately, I, and again, you know, I keep sort of contradicting myself here, but I've, I have got sympathy with with players and managers in 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 that sense because you know I guess when you're only sort of three or four games away from a crisis, you know you you you're not going to look medium and long term, are you? However much they might like to sort of pretend otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Danny James mentioned him earlier. Oliver Burke. What have you made to his sort of contribution so far? Yeah, I thought he did really well. I'm just thinking. I'm just gonna, on the point that James made there about. Uh, Football being short, you know, going the other way. I mean, it'd be interesting to see the, uh, the reaction to that John Egan red card if that was Tyrone Mings bringing back Oliver going the other way. Mm. You know, it's one of those things that, one of those decisions that if it went against you, you would be absolutely screaming at your TV. Yeah. And then when it goes, you know, either, either way, you'd be, you'd be, uh, you'd be wanting it. But the referee just couldn't, he couldn't wait, could he? Couldn't wait to get that red card out. You know, and like Chris rightly said after the game, he, he must have been. Obviously, Jim, you were there. You'll have seen the, the angle better than me, but it must have been 34 yards away. You know, yeah, and it looked to me, Danny, as well, as if he was making a genuine attempt to try and just get in front of his, you know, get in front of yeah. his man. Yeah. Ollie Watkins was as sort of culpable when it came to sort of that wrestling match that was going on as as John Egan was. So, yeah, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. The the assistant referee was certainly a lot better placed to to make that call. I, th- I, I think, think he gave the throw in, didn't he, as well? The, yeah. The, yeah. Sorry, not the linesman, sorry, the assistant referee, as we're as we supposed to call them now, didn't even didn't even fight for the foul, did he? And he must have been five, ten yards away at most. So it's a it's a strange one. But back to your question, Liam, sorry. <laughs> that I went on a tangent there. But Oli Burke, um, I was really impressed by his, first of all, his speed in the build-up to uh, Chris Basham winning the penalty. Oh, Chris Bashan, not, sorry, not winning the penalty, being fouled for the penalty. That would be uh, a counter attack. Yeah, to make that lung-busting run that yeah. must have been 
you know, three quarters of the length of the pitch. But also then, once he got there, to kind of have the awareness and the, you know, the cuteness to kind of pick that clever little kind of reverse ball pass to, to pick Basham out. Um, it was great. It was a great player that really deserved deserved the goal. But yeah, so far, um, it was a signing that I remember trolling through tweets um, when he when he signed and the West Brom fans kind of reaction to him was absolutely frightening mm. and kind of thinking, you know, but then from what I've seen so far and by all accounts, you know, it's been, it's been brilliant in and around the place so far. Um, and yeah, there's been promising signs in the two, the two games as well. So it just gives something, it gives United, sorry, something a little bit different, doesn't it? That they don't have that searing pace. I think we've seen that. We saw that probably more at Villa Park in terms of that, that run. Mm. It just gives defenders something else to think about, doesn't it? I don't think any defender in the world likes you know facing quick players no matter how good you are um, it just gives you a little bit something else to think about so yeah thumbs up from me so far I think when you've got that ability to play a pass like the one that he did as well it gives defenders an awful lot to think about that were uh, an incredible ball uh, ball through in terms of James somebody potentially joining Oliver Burke up top in terms of new incomings where, where are we at in terms of United's pursuit of another striker and probably Rian Brewster in particular? Yeah, well, that, I mean, they're still talking and, you know, that that is the situation as it, as it stands. And I think what that does is, you know, scrolling all the way back to the beginning of this conversation when we were talking about the bigger picture, I think that goes to show where Sheffield United are. Uh, because... You know, there is clearly an opportunity to buy Rian Brewster on a, on a permanent, uh, albeit Liverpool will want a buyback clause in that. But the very fact that they're still talking, uh, you know, suggests that the, the figures involved are difficult for, for United to meet. Uh, otherwise, the deal would have been done by now because as far as I'm aware, the player's interested in the move. I think there's certain people at Liverpool that are interested in in, in seeing him come to Bramall Lane. Uh, but Liverpool obviously have a valuation of what the player is worth. And I think, you know, it, it, it's almost a, an important sort of sobering moment, really, because it goes to show in terms of their financial clout, which again has taken a hit because of, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, but where Sheffield United are on that sort of financial pyramid, as it were, within the Premier League. You know, they're, they're a club that by their own standards has spent, but has got nowhere near the amount of money to spend that other clubs in the division have got. Uh, you know, and I include uh, certainly all three of the clubs that have come up as well, actually, this year. Yeah. You know, I, I dare I say, I don't think they've got the, uh, I don't think they've got the budget that Leeds, Fulham or West Bromwich Albion have got either. So, for me, it goes to show, A, how well they did last year, but B, I think it also goes to underline the importance of, you know, although it would be lovely to build on that ninth place finish, I I, I do think, and again, this isn't a dig, it's not a criticism, it's just an observation. I do think the the target this year has got to be just to stay up. and build the club sort of almost organically by getting that Premier League money in year on year. Uh, and, you know, one of the ways that they will stay up, it's something they've got to do, is uh, is, is score more goals. And I, I certainly think Rian Bruce is capable of doing that. The interesting thing for me as well 
is that when you look at the qualities that Rian's got, when, you know, you, Danny and yourself were talking about Oliver Burke earlier, where I think this will be such a, a, a good signing if Sheffield United can get it across the line, is that he brings, again, a different set of, of qualities, a different skill set uh, to, an, to, to that attack. And without having a proven Premier League goal scorer in, in their squad, which they, they can't afford, let's, let's not pretend they can because they can't. It's, it's not just transfer fees we're talking about here. People forget about the wages part, and that's obviously the most important bit in terms of these deals. So they can't bring a proven Premier League striker in. So what they've got to do is they've got to develop players. And I think they've got to almost, you know, bring in different players for different games. That's the way that they've, they've got to go about it. So, you know, fingers crossed that they can, they can get this, this deal across the line. It's certainly a player that Chris Wilder wants. As I say, as far as I'm told, it's a player who is interested and, and quite keen on making the move to Bramall Lane. So, you know, there's not too long to go now of the of the transfer window. So hopefully that deal can get done. You know, and hopefully it gets done way before deadline day as well, because for all of the, the good things that I think Sheffield United have done, and for all of the, you know, the, the conversations we've had about it's the importance of looking at the bigger picture and let's not get carried away about three games. The one thing I don't want to do is end up playing catch-up after five or six either. Because, you know, then it does become a really long season. So, hopefully, yeah, Rian Brewster is a player that they can, uh, they can get across the line. I think it would be a good fit, not only for the player, but also for the club. They've been having a look at other options as well, just in case. Yeah, I mean, quite quite clearly. I mean, we've spoken about one following Balogun uh, at Arsenal. You know, I think that would be a, a bigger gamble uh, in the sense that the kid's not played any any senior football. Uh, he's clearly got qualities, but, you know, I think for... A, th- these are two young players that they're looking at here. And there's going to be a great deal of, 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 of responsibility and expectation placed upon their shoulders as well. So although these are two young young players we're talking about here, you know, let's just say it is Rian Brewster. He's going to have to have very broad shoulders as well. So I think the fact that he's played senior football, uh, you know, and done very well at Swansea on loan last season, yeah. clearly impressed Jurgen Klopp in pre-season. I think that's... Uh, that's a you know a box ticked as far as he's concerned. Yeah, because yeah, whoever comes in, it'll just be a, it'll be a huge ask, won't it, for whoever whoever comes in. If you say Rian or you know you know the lad from Arsenal, James did a great job of pronouncing that. I won't even attempt. Um, you know, go and, <laughs> go and lead the line in the Premier League for Sheffield United. You know, score as 10, 15 goals and keep you know keep us up. You know, it's a, it's a big it's a big. Um, big ask isn't it but you know these players are not just picked out of a hat are they you know they'll have been forensically scoured you know Chris is not one to to really panic is he towards the end of a window and just start signing you know players that he knows nothing about so they must have something about them you know the lad from uh, the the Croatian lad from Mallorca we were talking about yesterday you know he's a slightly different end of the scale I think he was 29 Um, but you know he's obviously got a pedigree as well and, you know, these lads are not just picked out of, you know, plucked out of the air when we need a strike. Let's just go and grab someone that we know nothing about. So whoever comes in, will have the pedigree. But like I say, it's also a bit of a lot of pressure on the young shoulders, isn't it, as well, to, to hit the ground running and really justify whatever fee. Because, you know, we're talking decent money, aren't we? Whoever they sign. 
God, just yeah, to and, 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 and keep us up. And, it, and, it, and it's unfair on whoever comes in, in a sense, because, you know, it, the, the, the way that the deal is going to be portrayed is that this is the player who's come in to almost sort of save Sheffield United's season, as it were, because, you know, clearly they're a team that doesn't score a great deal of goals. They, you know, they didn't score many last season and, you know, they've not scored a league goal this season. Now, you know, realistically, that's not going to be how it is. It's going to be a striker coming in to, to add to the add to the skill sets of, uh, of of the of the attack that's already there. But, you know, life isn't fair, is it? And that is the way that it's going to be painted by people in the media. And it's also, before people start sort of moaning on about blooming journalists again and look what they're doing, listen, it's going to be the way it's perceived as well by supporters out there as well. Yeah. You know, that this is the guy who's come in. So, you know, they're the icing on the cake. Uh so you know, yeah. I, I, for me, they're, they're all clearly they've all clearly got qualities. They're all they're all clearly accomplished players. For me, this one is going to be all about the mindset, how psychologically strong they are. Yeah, yeah. We'll move on and look ahead to uh, to what's to come this weekend, Danny. And we've touched upon Leeds briefly, but what what do you make to this as a as a test for United this weekend? Uh, I don't think it's quite in the category of must-win game. Uh, to me, as I've discussed it with a few a few friends, I think it's more must-not-lose. Just in terms of looking at the games that are coming up, you know, the next six, seven games, you know, I'll take even newly promoted Fulham is not the easiest to have so early in the season, you know, when they're fresh in the division. But then after that, you're talking about Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, Arsenal. You know, <laughs> you, were, you could easily see United coming out of that four-game run. You know, if they come out of that with no points, no one will be surprised, would they? You know, that's by no means my prediction. I'm not saying that they're not capable of getting points out of those games, but if they didn't, you know, it wouldn't be the biggest surprise in football. So, to kind of go into that run of, of four games against four, you know, top top six sides with still no points on the board would be not catastrophic, but like Jim said earlier, quite rightly, you know, you want to get up and running, you know, sooner rather than later. The longer that kind of goes on, you know, the more, well, suppose the panicking already. So that's, but even more, this part starts to panic, you know, the kind of mood starts to change, doesn't it? So, although I don't think it's quite in the category of a must-win game, um, you know, any kind of result, I think, would be, would be, uh, would be decent in my view against the team who have, you know, as much as we like to, to take the, the mick out of them and, you know, look up the road and say, you know, they think a lot about themselves, don't they? But, they are, you know, they have started well, you know, to come up and score three goals at Anfield. You know, I know it's a different kind of Anfield with no fans and everything, but, you know, they're still the Premier League champions they were playing. You know, perhaps they caught them at a good time, but still, to go there and, and score three goals takes some doing. You know, to concede four is not ideal, but, you know, you look at the positives for them and then to go and do it again and score four against, you know, goals in the Premier League, no matter who you're playing, they're not easy to come by. So, the team that scored, what, 7-2, obviously has a lot of, a lot going forward. Um, but, you know, there is also that defensive vulnerability as well that United will fancy themselves to to exploit. So, yeah, I think it'll be a, a decent game and any kind of result for United, I think, would be uh, would be good just to, just to get them up and running, really, and kind of calm a few, few nerves around the place. 
Puts that spotlight on the uh, forward ranks a little bit, James, this this game, expecting that leads are a little bit leaky and, and hopefully United can uh, kind of get off the mark in terms of the goal scoring this season. Yeah, uh, I mean, listen, we you know how Leeds are going to play. I will just say, I think it's, uh, once again, it, it, it's, it's a crying shame that there's not going to be any fans inside the ground uh, because, you know, Listen, the occasion is going to be very different, isn't it? There's, there's no doubt about that. This, this would have been a, a wonderful occasion in terms of atmosphere, uh, you know, and sort of just everything that goes around, uh, you know, a, 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 a Premier League game. And it's, it's not going to be like that. It's, a, it's a derby in a sense, in name only, if you, if you get my drift. But yeah, I mean. I think it's interesting, you know, I go back to what I said earlier. As, as much as you can talk about positives, you, you know, ultimately it's got to be about points. And it was interesting to hear a lot of the commentary and a lot of sort of the narrative around that, that Leeds game at Anfield on the, on the opening day. Yes, they did play really well. Yes, they did score three goals against the reigning Premier League champions, which a lot of other clubs have struggled to do. But you know what? Ultimately, they lost the game. And that's, that's what it's about. I think Chris Wilder and his players will be very disappointed if they don't come away from this game with something. And do you know what as well? Even if it was a nil-nil draw, I think they'd be disappointed too as well in the sense that Leeds are going to be a threat going forward. You know, we know they're going to come and have a go. We know they're going to come and be very, very expansive. But as you quite rightly said, they do give you uh, an opportunity at the other end of the pitch. And, for all the fact that Sheffield United can be a little bit more clinical and, and need to be a little bit more ruthless, I think on paper, you would suggest that they're probably going to get more chances in this, you know, if you go on past evidence in this game than they are in an awful lot of other fixtures across the across the course of the season. So, you know, they can create chances, Sheffield United. They've not struggled to do that. They've just struggled to take them. So I think if they come away from this, without a couple of goals as well. I, I, I actually think that'll be a concern whether or not they, they talk about it publicly or not afterwards for, for Sheffield United. But, you know, listen, it's a game they're eminently capable of winning as well. Yeah. As I said, they've not been a million miles off in, in, in the two games. That have, uh, it, it, it's small details, Liam. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I don't think there's anything systemically wrong there. No. I, I, I do just think they've got to join up the different parts of their performance more and just be a little bit, you know, be a little bit less careless at times as well. But, you know, they, they, they can do it. We've seen that. They, they can do it. But they've got to start doing it. Yeah. Yeah, this is where those no small things become big things when they keep happening. Mm. Time and time again, it develops into a whole new problem. Hopefully that problem stops this weekend uh, against Leeds United. Uh, that's pretty much it for this episode of the Star Blades. Make sure you head over to thestar.co.uk for the very best coverage of Sheffield United 365 days a year. While you're there, why not take advantage of our brand new sport-only subscription? We know plenty of you are only interested in sport and specifically football. So we've got a deal just for you, $39.95 for a full year of unlimited access to the superb work that both Danny and James produce day in, day out. Um, and if you're so inclined, you could cast an eye over what's been written about the team from the other side of the city, but that's entirely up to you. <laughs> uh, it works out at 77 pence a week, which is actually cheaper than what it is to buy a paper... Uh, 
each day. So 11 pence a day to read the very best coverage of Sheffield United that is out there and also help us to continue to deliver it as well. There's a link to the subscription page in the description of this podcast. While we're talking subscriptions, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Leave us a review while you're over there as well. And you can follow us on Twitter at the Starblades and find our dedicated United page on Facebook. For now, that's it. We'll be back early next week to reflect on this big game this weekend uh, in a little match review episode. But for now, thanks for joining us. Take care and we will speak to you again very soon. Thanks very much. Thank you. Head over to thestar.co.uk for all the latest news, views and analysis of all things Sheffield United. Follow us on Twitter at the Star Blades or search for our dedicated United Facebook group. And remember that you can rate, review and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from.